HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Levo. Simple, potent, at-home herbal infusions at the push of a button. Learn more at levooil.com and feed your enthusiasm. That's L-E-V-O-O-I-L dot com. This week on Meet and 3, we're looking at things that have changed and things that are still in flux. From mothers balancing new lifestyles to the social stigma surrounding pumpkin spice. You got rid of the star rating system and talked about, like, I'm not going to use the word ethnic when I talk about food. They recognized that safety was our motivation, and, and they were very you know, receptive to the changes, understanding what we were trying to accomplish. A cupcake or a piece of bacon or a glass of rosé is not inherently gendered. Tune in to Meet and 3 HRN's weekly food news roundup, wherever you listen to podcasts. listening to Eat Your Birds and Heritage Radio Network, and I'm your host, Kathy Irway. It is a beautiful Sunday here in Brooklyn, New York, where I am, uh, and uh, we're in the midst of fall, but heading into the colder we- uh, weather, this is the time of year that I really want to cook lots of soups and stews and rib-sticking hearty dishes, but I also want to do that in a vegetarian way. Um like so many people today, including the author I'm speaking to today, I'm not a strict vegetarian or a vegan, but I strive to eat that way often um, because I know it can be just as satisfying as meat. And it's, you know, meat is not the end all be all of winter comfort food anyway. Um, And it's also just, you know, often more economical, healthful and environmentally beneficial. So I'm thrilled to talk about a book that I think you will all love if you're trying to eat this way or not. It's called East 120 Vegan and Vegetarian Recipes from Bangalore to Beijing. And its author, Mira Soda, is a best-selling cookbook author in the UK. She is a voracious home cook, the author of Made in India and Fresh India cookbooks. And she is the vegan columnist at The Guardian. I'm so pleased to welcome Mira to the show. Hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much for joining. And uh, I know it's about dinner time over there in, where you are. So thanks for taking the time away. You're very welcome. Um, so first off, in the introduction to East, you talk about how 
um, when you first got this wonderful career opportunity to uh, write a vegan column for The Guardian, you were a little bit conflicted because you had just had your infant daughter at that time, and it was a bit of a handful. Um, and uh, so I want to congratulate you, first of all, because I know that you have recently welcomed a new baby. Thank you. I have. I have. <laughs> She's just turned six months old. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. So good things seem to happen to you at the same time. I mean, <laughs> literally all the things come at once, like like the London buses, three, three at a time. <laughs> How How is everything going with be, juggling being a mom and now your third cookbook just came um, out? I think I've got slightly better at juggling. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's total pandemonium and, and chaos, but um, I think, you know, a lot of good things can come from chaos. <laughs> it's a, a very, yep. It can be a, quite a creative environment to be in. Um, and, I'm, you know, I'm a great believer that... Um, limitations are great for creativity and that's a main theme running through east you know sort mm-hmm. of you know using trying to write recipes for vegan food predominantly and I think it's the same when you have children and um, you know your days start at five o'clock in the morning and you're looking after children early in the morning and your days are shorter and you um, and you know waking up multiple times in the night and and, and I think the restrictions on the time helps me to, well, in theory, focus a little bit more um, and be more efficient. I say in mm-hmm. theory because I'm not sure if it's actually true or if it's something that I'd love <laughs> to be true. But, I hope it's um, working. <laughs> <laughs> I hope so too. I'm going to just tell myself that in, in, in the hope that it might become true. <laughs> Oh, I, I love that theme. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely um, really enjoyed when you wrote that in your introduction that you find having the constraints of not using, you know, meat, fish, dairy, or eggs, it forced you to think about food in new and creative ways and, you know, get the most out of ingredients. And do you think that that's what, that has what made so many vegan cuisines or traditionally vegetarian cuisines so delicious in the first place? This yeah, I think I think so. If you, I mean, you know, if you've only if you've only got uh, celery root to cook with, um, and you know, then you're going to find the best way of extracting, you know, flavour um, out of it, and all the different techniques that you could you could use to um, make it the most delicious thing that you could possibly eat that day. You know, yeah. if you if you've got absolutely everything at your disposal um, in your supermarket and you know, now everything is asseasonal. I, I went to the super, my local supermarket today and I saw asparagus and I was aghast because it's really not the season for asparagus yeah. here. Um, but, you know, so it's, it, it's, it, it forces you down another channel if you've got no other options. And although that was terrifying to start with when I first started writing this column, uh, the, the, my Guardian column that you mentioned that then turned into this book, um, I realized after a little while that it set me free you know it was mm-hmm. it was just the most joyous feeling because it just meant that I focused in on on a on a singular vegetable um, mm-hmm. and could learn all about it and it and it and it, and it meant that I wanted to explore further and so it opened me up to um, you know the Asian pantry and all these different new ingredients that I'd never mm-hmm. tried before 
Mm. Um, so I think in short, the answer to your question is yes. I, I think mm. that, that it, it, it is. You know, I think we we across the world there have been limitations, whether it's out of poverty or religion or just you know because people have had to eat whatever whatever they can grow seasonality um, yeah yeah and whatever you know whatever grows around them uh, according to the land and so and that is a restriction of its own kind and so they're obviously going to try and make the most delicious food out of the situation mm-hmm. that they're in but we don't live in that world anymore no. We could, no so we you know and I think that's that's a brilliant thing in some ways but then also also quite you know where do you start yeah there are billions of recipes on the internet but we're always always in search of inspiration um so so that's partly why I wanted to focus as well for you know looking at India and beyond was sort of Mm. homing in on certain cuisines and cultures yeah let's talk about the scope of of east um, because amongst the, these are 120 recipes and it also has, I should mention this wonderful condiment section where you have a recipe for everything from a Sichuan chili oil to carrot achar to, uh, kachap manis. Is that, I, I don't know if I said that right. The Indian, you should, um, kachap manis. <laughs> we, anyway. Yeah. Kachap manis. I didn't, it could be, that could be a, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, sorry, did you have a question about the condiments? Or, um, oh, no, no, please go no, on. Uh, well, yeah. So, I mean, I, what what happened was um, I was re- writing about Indian food and I could spend the rest of my life writing about Indian food and barely scratch the surface. It's such mm-hmm. an in- enormous country and, you know, the food... The food of India is um, hyper-regionalized uh, in the same way as, as is the food of Italy. Um, you yeah. know, you, you travel 10 miles down the road to another village and they're making doses in a different way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, what, what I'd learned from um, looking at India was that, um, you know, there was so much innovation when it came to vegetarian food and, and particularly where my family are from in Gujarat, um, the Gujarat is a state on the west coast of India where there's 66 million people who live there and they're mostly vegetarian mm. and so they've they've really you know there's ingredients like chickpea flour which is um, uh, you know they've used in I, I mean thousands of different ways to make breads and pancakes and mm-hmm. um, you know you can use it to make something the equivalent of scrambled egg and you can steam it and it becomes something else um uh you can stuff onions with i mean so i just thought if if this sort of innovation uh, exists here then it must do east of here and mm-hmm. and i you know i found that when i when i traveled to sri lanka when i when i traveled to thailand that the food that i was eating um was predominantly vegetarian and when i say that i mean it was 99 percent vegetarian so if you look at something like um a somtam salad um mm-hmm. you know a sort of classic thai salad there's there's like a splash of fish sauce in there and the rest of it is vegan mm. um and so that you'll find typically that there is a little bit of meat um or like say the um the chinese dish mapo tofu Mm-hmm. there's a little bit of pork mince in there but it's predominantly a vegetarian dish and that's most likely happened because meat is a very was used to be a, a real luxury and still mm-hmm. is for many many people um and so you would only use a small amount to flavor a dish and so if you're looking then to write you know to when I was trying to figure out the you know 
um, how to write the the best vegan recipes that I could. Um, most people around me or the recipes that I could see were sort of taking out meat from Western dishes like lasagna and mm-hmm. replacing it with um, vegetables or tofu. And then you, you'd eat something like that. And I really felt like there was something missing because you haven't, you know, that you're, you're substituting. Whereas right. actually, you know, removing just a little tiny bit of meat from a dish like mapo tofu and then understanding what that, what the role of that thing is, like the pork and understanding how you can replace it with something that might have the same mouthfeel mm-hmm. is, was an area that I found, you know, it was very easy because um, there are so many cuisines and cultures um, from Singapore to, and Sri Lanka, Beijing to Bangkok, where, you know, there are uh, food cultures that with ease and creativity put plants at the center of the table. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, so the song, you know, from the, whether it's a Somtam salad or a Vietnamese bun cha or a Malaysian laksa. So I love lax. You know, you, you talked at the beginning of this um, program about really wanting sort of soups and stews. And yeah. oh, me too. Um, <laughs> we've had such a sort of one of those beautiful, sunny, cold days here. And we went for a long yeah. walk. Oh. Um, and I just, you know, I came back and I really wanted to make a laksa. So um, there are, I mean, there are many different types of like, it's predominantly a sort of coconut noodle soup. Um, Malaysian yeah. coconut noodle soup mm-hmm. and um, and I just um, with that dish I've used um, what we call swede what I what I believe you call rutabaga if I pronounced it oh correctly. yeah rutabaga sure rutabaga which no, no one eats here <laughs> it's a ah, very unpopular vegetable um, and I roasted it and realized how delicious and yeah. buttery oh my gosh because the flavors concentrate when you roast it and you bring out these earthy buttery tones um and I've roasted some shallots alongside it and it's just it pairs so like Ooh. gorgeously with this like deep hot like quite sort of chilly hot um oh. but, uh, coconut noodle soup which it would obviously the coconut sort of acts as this lovely blanket to just take the edges off the chili mm. um so it's kind of one of those things that gets your your eyes watering in a good way <laughs> <laughs> your nose yes. and just I warm. love rutabaga too and <laughs> oh, do not good. enough people like it here <laughs> yes it's exactly. not popular yeah Exactly. But that's what I love is that people, I think maybe from previous generations have had um, very particular relationships with different types Mm -hmm. of food. So I I mean, I'm in a position to talk about what previous generations in the UK have felt about beetroot as in, I didn't know if they were force fed it or (laughs) just eaten pickled, but no one above the age of, let's say 55 eats beetroot. Oh, Um, I know, very strange. And it can filter down the generation. So I'm enjoying sort of, you know, trying to, trying to encourage these vegetables, these unpopular vegetables back on people's plates. (laughs) It does seem that vegetables vegetables are very uh, in fashion or out. So yes, yeah, there's Brussels sprouts. It's in full bloom here. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, really? it's like very popular, but it wasn't. You know, it, well, they weren't. They weren't. No, they really weren't. Um, how are you eating your sprouts? Um, usually, I will uh, have them and put them cut side down on a sheet pan when I'm roasting something else, um, like right. a chicken. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or nice. I, I might shave them raw for a salad. Mm. Yeah. yeah. What else should I do with them? Uh, well, I love shredding them and frying them, uh-huh. like crank the heat up high 
and okay. fry them really hard for just a few minutes until yeah. you char them and bring out their bitter sweet notes and then I like I like smacking them with a really um like a hot salty peanut sauce that's mm-hmm. my like I mean whether it's you know soy or black vinegar some crushed peanuts okay um, yeah, but um, you have a you have a great recipe here with the tandoori broccoli, and I think that might translate because since they're uh, both, uh, you know, brassicas. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, I'm just trying to think if there's. It must be a Brussels sprout recipe in here. Um, the kung yeah. pao cauliflower, maybe that will work. The um, which the which cauliflower dish? Sorry, say it again. Kung kung pao cauliflower kung pao. in your yes. book. Yeah. Yes, that would that really would work. work. That would really yeah. work. Um, uh, my 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 mum's been cooking a sprout curry for many years. Um, really? Now. Yes, and um, hmm. it's um, we use she well, she uses um, pickling spices, sort of classic Indian pickling spices, and um, and the, it, the sprout takes to it very well. It's, a, it's such a tender little thing. It doesn't hmm. need much cooking, and because yeah. it has all of those beautiful layers, layers, yes, it, it really up. Up, um, oh. yeah, it can really just soak up a lot of you know all the good good stuff that's around oh, it brilliant um i i need to ask you a lot more about what's in my uh crisper drawer and what to do with it but <laughs> um mira we're gonna just cut to a quick little commercial okay. break and we'll be right back This episode is brought to you by Levo, the world's most intelligent at-home infuser. It's super easy to use to make infusions for cooking, candies, cosmetics, and herbal medicines. When the box showed up, I was excited to try it out as I've heard good things about the machine. It looks like a space-age coffee maker on the counter, and having it out makes me want to infuse everything. I've got plans for the hot peppers on my counter and the sage I picked from the garden before the first freeze last week, along with some other choice herbs and spices. I think everyone on my list is going to get infused oils this year. So far, I've used it for cannabis, basil, and orange peel infused oils and butter. The machine even has dry and activate functions for the highest potency and stability in your infusions, and you can connect through Wi-Fi to track your progress and record your recipes and share with the Levo community. Learn more at levooil.com. That's L-E-V-O-O-I-L.com. Okay, we're back and chatting more with Mira Soda. Her recent book is called East, and it is 120 vegan and vegetarian recipes from Bangalore to Beijing. Um, so Mira, we were just talking about your um, kind of scope of, of this book and how you decided to expand beyond the Indian um, dishes that you had written about for your first two books, even the you know, India is a big enough country to write about forever. Um, but I love how you have really culled from Southeast and East Asia and South Asia. Um, these dishes that and ingredients that I never heard of. So, I mean, and I'm not like an expert or anything, but I do have a few Korean books on my shelf and a few Vietnamese cookbooks on my shelf. Right. But you have something like Vietnamese coconut pancakes which mm. I didn't know were, was a thing. And uh, this Korean bread with an egg in the middle, Korean egg bread, um, just for an example. I mean, how did you find all these incredible, incredibly tasty and delightful uh, dishes from around Asia? 
Well, you know, the thing is, when I was um, when I was researching for my um, vegan column, I had a very tiny baby, and mm-hmm. um, ordinarily, what I would do when I'm when I was writing recipes for the you know previous two Indian books that I'd written. I would go and spend months a year in India just traveling, taking dog leg turns. The moment where someone would say, oh, there's this incredible dish here. You must mm-hmm. go and try it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, whereas with this book, it was what what I realized um, was that, it, you know, I couldn't do that for a start. But um, I started thinking about my own family um, and we're Gujarati and, um, uh, you know, we're Indians from the west coast of India. And the the food that my mother cooks and my aunts cook, my grandma cooks, are, you know, um, generations old. They're very pure recipes. And I thought, well, if we're if we're here and the UK is such a multicultural country, then there must be many cooks of different cultures that I can go and talk to. And so mm-hmm. I became a real botherer. Um, and by that, I mean, um, I started following Indonesian cooks um and you know they might be based in Surrey just down the road um uh-huh. or you know they would get someone online and I would just send them Instagram messages just slide a, a DM um uh-huh. into their inbox and just ask them questions uh-huh. and so um and or you know I um there's a there's a Korean community here in the UK in New Malden um, I have to confess, I don't know exactly why there's such a large community in New Malden, um, <laughs> but there's an enormous Korean supermarket there. And um, and so I would just go and chat, chat to people in the supermarket, pick up ingredients, experiment with them. Um, you know, I did some of my traveling via other cookbooks as well and other food writers. And so I would and I have been I have been doing so it's the way that quite a lot of um, us travel, I think, is through yeah. our cookbooks. I certainly do. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not not unusual to be interested in both travel and food at the same time. And cookbooks right. for me are that sort of amazing nexus of both of those wonderful things. And I've often sort of followed Fuchsia Dunlop down, um, you know, different alleyways in Chengdu and Madhu Jaffrey. Uh, you know, I, I open a book and I'm right there with Madhu Jaffrey in 1970s Jakarta suddenly. Mm-hmm, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so I think I really had to work quite hard to, um, to really just pull in as much information and references and just talk to people. Um, I was in touch with um, uh, a Saraswati Brahmin um, cook in uh, via WhatsApp and I was messaging her and she just rang me back. And, and like, oh, just wow. like you, just like you and I are just chatting like this and you're, you're, you're based in New York and I'm based in East London right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I was able to have proper conversations with her um and and that's what's incredible about the modern world and it, it doesn't seem quite as romantic a way to find a recipe because as a food writer what I really want to be able to tell you is that I you know <laughs> I was tra- I was traveling uh in you know in a boat somewhere where someone handed me this <laughs> wonderful thing and <laughs> I was in some incredible market and um the birds were singing and I don't know, or I was in the middle of a monsoon and I had this experience, but it's, that's not the truth here is. And, and, <laughs> I, and nobody's traveling now anyway, so no, it's okay. No, yeah. And no one's traveling now anyway, but I, you know, my, the, my real pleasure comes from, um, finding out what people are cooking for themselves and their families mm. in their own kitchen. So what I love doing is reaching out and, um, speaking to, it's predominantly women who are cooking at home, uh, still um the and 
and I, and and that's what I did. I did a lot of chatting to people, and so you, I've, where I've done that, I've definitely referenced it in the recipe. So there's a recipe for Shuko's um, breakfast noodles, mm. and Shuko is um, she set up a restaurant called Koya in London, and it's in Soho, Ho, which is unfortunately closed right now. But I just uh-huh. had the most amazing udon noodles, um, and it's like a three ingredient dish. So there's udon noodles, egg yolks, soy sauce, and there's an optional optional nori. And oh my gosh, I mean, what a dish that is. You just <laughs> you just get the hot hot noodles, break in an egg yolk, season it with the soy sauce, and you have yourself like a really fantastic meal. Um it just feels very complete. So um so yeah, that's 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 really how I how I went about um East. But and um but obviously the other thing to say here is that before I had my children, before COVID, um I I did used to travel and so I have done a fair amount of traveling you know since I was since, since I left um uh university uh just around and I've always sort of followed my mouth and my nose um but mm-hmm. you know uh, and and that's that's just how <laughs> that's just the the best way isn't it uh, yeah that sounds like a wonderful experience I love that you know you write that that uh you know learning from other home cooks, what people are actually cooking in their homes, you know, for their families, um, is, is really some of the most fascinating stuff, some of the most fascinating food out there. I totally agree. (laughs) Um, I, I think that it's wonderful that your book also captures the, the very real conversation that, um, food throughout East, Southeast and South Asia has always had, um, so there's like these uh, dishes that have come from um, uh, these migrants from different areas and, and, you know, throughout the region. So, so for instance, I'm looking at the recipe you have for a chili tofu. Um, and this was uh, inspired by a dish from the first Indo-Chinese restaurant. Um, is, that, is that right? Or chili um, paneer? Yeah, so it's not. Uh, it wasn't the first Indo Chinese restaurant, mm-hmm. but um, I mean, there's always been a little bit of transference from China to India. Oh, sorry, and, you wrote that the first Indo Chinese restaurant opened in Kolkata just 85 yeah. years ago. Never yeah, mind. yeah, okay. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. so um, uh, Indian Chinese food, or ch- it's <laughs> it's been given its own name, Chindian. I don't know if you've uh-huh. heard of that. Um, okay. <laughs> I think it's very, very popular when mm-hmm. um, when Indians go out to eat. They love eating Chinese food, but it's not really it's not real Chinese food. It's it's Chindian food or a sort of okay. an, an, an amalgamation, and um, and it's its own thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and Indians love it. Um, and and so chili chili paneer, uh, which is the the what what I've based the chili tofu on. Is is a really famous is probably the most famous uh, Chinese Indian dish, or mm-hmm. Indo Chinese dish, whichever way around you want to, um, and it's sort of uh, where you where you hard fry the the tofu so you get that lord lovely crisp edge and then braise it and you sort of fry it in corn flour, mm. and then braise it in a sort of sticky sweet spicy sauce. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just one of those things that you cannot possibly stop eating because. Mm. <laughs> it just has it i mean i mean it, i can't stop eating it it has a power over me that i cannot explain but you know i'm sure um 
it, you know, it falls within the things that we now know that make food like that delicious in that it's hot, salty, it has umami, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's got all the, all the, all the things that you and Soy sauce. Yeah. Yeah. Tomato yes. paste. It's got all the umami. Yes, exactly. It's got, it's got everything going on for it. Um, and, and I still, I'm not sure I agonized over the portion size when I was writing. So it's like, I could, I could polish this whole thing <laughs> off myself. <laughs> I don't know how to create, you know, it, servings for four people. And <laughs> it looks so good. I was just so and, greedy. <laughs> yeah, Mir, and this, this is the one that you said really turned you on to tofu, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. That's right. Because I, I have to say, and I, you know, there are just some ingredients that um, that you don't love the first time around, mm-hmm. and and I was a very fussy eater as a child. So I'm very, and I'm I, I think I'm quite a sensitive person. So that happened to me a lot when I was growing up, is that I would turn off something, um, and but then I when I realised um, just how you know that that you could treat tofu in so many different ways, the different types of tofu, and um, and with I love this technique where you fry hard fry the tofu first to mm-hmm. sort of seal um seal the tofu and you can crisp it and then you braise it and it becomes chewy yeah. and that's that's my favorite way of eating tofu I think I mean I love I mean I to be honest I'm a real tofu evangelical tofu pusher now mm-hmm. so, <laughs> but whoever will listen I love all the different types of tofu um you know I, I'm a big fan of silken tofu as well which I don't think very many people have really got to grips with in their kitchens okay. um yeah I don't know um how you how you feel about it but what I love about it is that um I mean, you can buy it fresh but it's quite hard to buy fresh um here in even in London and so I buy it in a carton in a in a sort of cardboard box. Right, and it right. Sit, sits in my pantry, and um, and so it's but it it doesn't even need cooking, or it takes minutes to cook, and it's an incredible vehicle for whatever flavor you want to throw at it. Mm. Um, and it provides in the same way that sort of coconut milk, how we were talking earlier, how it's sort of a blanket or a foil for other sort of much bigger, brasher flavors. Um, well, silken tofu does that too. Mm, and I love how you have a, a silken tofu based uh, vegan mayo recipe. Yes, it's brilliant. It's delicious. It really is. Like it's not um, to what I was saying earlier. What I've really tried to do is not make substitutes, and so that when you're eating them, you feel like you're eating like a poor man's mayo. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Or the poor yeah. woman's mayo, but it's um, that's the thing. It just has all of these wonderful properties to it, mm-hmm. and it it just makes a um a fantastic like sauce let's call mm-hmm. it mayonnaise um uh but what's joyful about it is that you're not eating you know quite as much oil as you would be if you were making your own mayonnaise i mean i love mayonnaise so i'm not going to say a bad word against it but um anyway it makes a fantastic yeah. meal so and and to your point yeah. you know of being a tofu evangelist i think that i can't see why anyone would not like that that chili tofu uh, dish i mean it's it's i i I think that a lot of people maybe just haven't had tofu served to them in the in too many ways or in the right way yes just try it well i think that's that's true of all um vegan food i would say Mm -hmm. is that it had it had such bad such a bad reputation or you know it was so politicized and like being a vegetarian was even 
I wouldn't say frowned upon, but it was definitely on the fringe, fringes of right. society, you know, let's say 20 years ago or so, because that, I was a vegetarian 20 years ago, and I don't remember being catered for very easily oh, by people. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I really think it's just a question of people just eating delicious food um, and just realizing that it is vegan. And instead of, um, there are so many arguments for eating more vegetables, and no one ever said that eating more vegetables is bad for you. Um, but really, it's just it's just the, you know, just having delicious food to eat that you feel is substantial and wonderful. And you just want more of it, uh, whether it's vegan or not. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mm-hmm. that's that's um, that way you're not sort of pushing an elephant up a hill by sort of telling people that it's good for them. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I know. Or, or being didactic or anything. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, let's talk. I think I found it. This is um, on page 133. You have Brussels sprout nazi garang, which is just ingenious. It looks like you completely frizzled up the Brussels sprouts. And is this your invention? Is this uh, oh, the, your the, sort of the shredding of the sprouts? Um, or just recreating it I as nazi garang? Um, I mean, my, my mom. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 this is my, the, the dish is my invention, but I don't know if I was the first person to ever shred sprouts. I think I I actually had a sort of, um, uh, oh gosh, was it the Zuni Cafe? Yeah, I think mm. it was. Zuni I Cafe, had a, okay. A, the, um, I had a sprout salad there with palm, parmesan and lemon. Yeah. So I definitely have not been the first person to okay. shred sprout, um, but I do love. That's how I love eating them uh, shredded. Yeah. And um, so this dish, what I love about um, this recipe that you're talking about is that um, you can quickly cook sprouts, and they are essentially mini cabbages, and they cook so quickly, and they're quite yep. sweet, sweet and tender little things. And so I've sort of used. Um, I've used sprouts cooked into some rice um, that's flavoured with ketchup manis um, and soy sauce, tomato puree, and it ends up tasting quite sort of uh, dirty, like quite like it's quite a filthy, delicious dish. Um, <laughs> it's how I would describe it. Like I, when I made it, I was like, wow, this tastes like really like it's like takeaway food in the best possible way. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but then I use the rest of the sprouts as a sort of fresh salad to disguise the sort of how how filthy yeah. it tastes and um Contrast. Yeah, yeah and that's really because they have this beautiful they are delicious raw um and and so they you know they really hold their own as like a little little salad that you can you can you can treat quite um mercilessly so I've used um bird's eye chilies and garlic and I'm trying mm-hmm. to remember off the top of my head some um like vinegar uh in the uh, like and and it and it just is, it's a really, it's, it's a nice, it's a fresh little salad to just sort of contrast against this quite. Um, I never would have thought of, yeah, doing, uh, combining the uh, shaved Brussels sprouts with uh, such a dirty, oh, I wouldn't call it dirty, but <laughs> as you called it dirty. <laughs> I did. Um, <laughs> but also really great this time of year because I don't know, I mean, sprout farmers must spend all year round just growing these sprouts until just before Christmas time or Thanksgiving. Do you, is it traditional to eat sprouts at Thanksgiving? I think it's popular. Popular. Okay. So yeah. then, then you're suddenly left with like a lot of sprouts in the oh, no, farmers right. markets. And so it's quite, you know, it's quite useful to have a sprout recipe up your sleeves to... <laughs> That's true. To, to use up, you know, that big bag that's lying around. Those farmers, yeah. yeah. All right, good to keep in mind. 
Um, Mira, there are so many brilliant recipes in here. We didn't even scr scratch the surface of so many of them, but um, it looks like that's about all the time we have for today. Um, although I do hope everyone checks out Mira, uh, Mira Soda's East from Flatiron Books, which is in beautiful. And I have to say the photos are incredible too. Oh, thank um, you. Thank you. Hardcover. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful tome and I love all the, oh my goodness, look at these beautiful cabbages you have here and the eggplants. Oh, there's just yeah. like so many different categories of food in this book, <laughs> but it's vegetarian. Um, so thank you so much for your time today. And, uh, uh, what do you hope people take away from this book? If anything, in a nutshell. Um, well, I really hope that um, they take away, you know, just how easy it is to eat vegan and vegetarian food and mm -hmm. to sort of transform a squash into a meal for four. Um, and that with just a few store cupboard ingredients and a couple of, you know, a few base ingredients like noodles and rice and, you know, a singular fresh vegetable from the farmer's market, you can really eat the most fantastic stuff so it's not I don't know if people think it could be intimidating to start eating more plants but um, I'm here to say it's not uh, mm -hmm. it's it's easy um, it can be very quick um, it's certainly very delicious and um, I hope East can help people with a you know I feel like we're as a as a an earth going through this journey to try and figure out um, a way to eat more plants and um, this is I just hope people join me on this uh, for this ride perfect I'll be joining you <laughs> okay great well thank you so much for having me all right all right Amira um, thanks everyone at Heritage Radio Network and we'll see you next week on Eat Your Words Eat Your Words is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, and more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.